Welcome to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we value using our voice collectively to explore life challenges, including mental health, addiction, trauma, and ways to heal. With our voice, we empower, encourage, and transform lives. I'm your host, Daishika Bibbs, a certified trauma-focused therapist, licensed clinical social worker, and licensed certified addiction specialist. As we embark on this journey together, let's elevate our voice to echo the sound for the voiceless. Do you have a secure financial foundation? Do you have the skills to make effective decisions with your financial resources? In today's episode, Johnny Johnson, a financial coach, and I will discuss the importance of building your financial house on a strong financial foundation by making sure you have a solid financial plan as well as what's included in that plan. Let's jump into the conversation. You have helped many families across the United States over the last nine years by educating them and by getting them the right financial information that is suitable for them. I have heard you speak, and one of the phrases that you use often is laying the foundation for your financial future. What is that all about? How did you come up with that concept? So what what you're referring to is, is basically building your personal financial house with a solid foundation, right? That was a concept that I've grasped over the years of experience in this industry. With anything that you're trying to build, it has to have a solid foundation. It doesn't matter if you're building your dream home from scratch or if you're building your financial economy. It all has to start somewhere, but the the starting point has to be the strongest point. So a person's financial foundation has to be solid and sturdy for them to build anything on top of that. Coming from humble beginnings and coming from poverty, and when I say poverty, don't take it the wrong way. Like we weren't on Lower East Wacker Drive here in Chicago, shaking the cup, asking for change. Poverty, poverty is like mom and dad. They work, and you know they only knew what they knew, so they were very hardworking people. But they lacked financial education and information primarily because nobody really exposed it to them. Obviously, they didn't learn it in school. When you talk in elementary school, high school, college post-secondary education, even trade school. And then generally speaking, as adults, we don't know certain information unless what? Somebody exposed it to us. So building your personal financial foundation as you build your personal financial house is vitally key and vitally important. But the ironic part is when I come in contact with a lot of people from a mentality standpoint, because that's where it actually all starts from, I ask them certain questions because my goal is to help I help people financially the same way we go to our doctor. So if we're not feeling well and something is foreign with us, maybe we're having headaches at random or certain parts on our body is hurting and we haven't experienced that before. So we don't schedule a a doctor's appointment and go in and start talking to the doctor and he or she just thanks us for coming in and just start telling us what we need without doing what? Assessing us, i.e. what? Asking us questions. Because there's a saying that I use and I've been using for several years, the knowledge of the problem is the key to the solution, right? Right. And that's a huge statement because when you really break it down, if you know what the problem is, i.e. knowledge of the problem, that's going to help you to be able to solve it. 
But a lot of people, especially when you're talking finances, don't really know that they have a financial problem because why? It's foreign to them. They don't really know that that world because why? They lack the financial education on some level. So when I come in contact with somebody, whether they're a wealthy person, uh, a mid wealthy person or somebody that's really just starting out, but they work a job or they're doing something to make money. I have to have that initial conversation because why? I have to see what their mentality is on what they want to have happen in their world financially, what they're doing currently and what they're looking to do in the future. And then from there, as a financial coach, i.e. financial doctor, I can start to prescribe them things that they should be doing like a doctor will prescribe you medicine to solve a health problem, if you will. I do the same thing from a financial standpoint. And my whole goal is to help a person get from where they are to where they want to go with a strategic plan and allowing them to take action on that plan that I've prescribed for them, so to speak. Right. And for my listeners out there, financial information You may hear us use that terminology, but some of us know it as financial literacy, which is simply possessing the skills and the knowledge to make effective decisions with your financial resources. And some people don't know what financial resources mean. They don't know if if they have any financial resources because All of that language is is foreign to them and being able to educate them on what that means and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Your analogy of me being a financial doctor and me prescribing you this knowledge and helping you and guiding you, that's one thing. And I love the way that you use analogies because it, it resonates with people. They can get it. Yeah. Instead of using all these big financial words and terms. And it was like, I don't know what that means. Make it simple for me. And I love the fact that you you do that. You meet a person where they are and you make it as simple as it can be so they can understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Communication is effective on a lot of different levels. It's body language, it's facial expressions, and obviously it's the words that we say out of our mouths. So when I'm talking to my clients, especially if I know that they don't really have any financial literacy or financial education or financial knowledge on certain topics, I have to be able to talk to them as if they're a baby. So we call it financial baby talk until we can start to have a real conversation. But that may be, you know, months or years down the line. But initially, I'm going to talk to a person as if I was them, meaning how would I want to be shared the information if I was somebody sitting across the table, or if it was virtually from me, so I can help them understand where I'm coming from and how I'm here to help them so we can move forward. And so that's kind of how I start off with each of my clients, because a lot of them want certain things set up, but because they lack the financial literacy and the financial knowledge and the financial information that can help them make that decision, I have to give them like the foundation or the blueprint of what that generally looks like. And once again, as you just stated, that starts off with me finding out and assessing them on where they are from a financial standpoint. So with all of my clients, I provide them something called a financial needs analysis, or we also called it a fact finder. What does that mean? Well, the same way that we would go to the doctor and we would fill out sheets to talk about our previous medical history, the reason that we fill those documents out is so when we get to see the actual doctor, 
they know generally what we've already experienced medically. So from that, they can start to ask certain questions to assess where the medical problems are and then be in a position to, you know, give us diagnoses or information or at the very least prescribe us certain medications to help us solve our medical problem. So the financial needs analysis is a document that the average person would actually pay anywhere from $500 to $2,500. I do it for free, right? Because I'm here to serve. I'm a servant leader of the people that I come in contact with. As you stated earlier, whether they're here in the Chicagoland, Illinois area where I'm residing at, or if they're in any other state around the country, I have the the licenses and I have the experience to be able to help a person where they are and obviously move forward. But that initial assessment, i.e. that financial needs analysis, is very, very vital and key to helping me assess the person the correct way and the right way first so I can only give them the information that they need moving forward. And a lot of times people in our industry start prescribing things to the clients without really knowing what the client's ailment is. You're right. I do use a lot of analogies with my clients because a lot of what I do is conceptual, meaning what? you have. There's a saying, you have to be able to see it in order to seize it. Well, if I can conceptually paint a picture that's customized for a specific client, whether it's an individual person or if it's a family or even if it's a business, they have to be able to see it as I'm talking so that they can be like, oh, I I see what you're saying. That's why where that saying comes from. But then we have to put information on documents, i.e. paper, so that they can go back and look at it. And then obviously, if they have any questions, they obviously will reach out to me. But that's the starting point, that financial needs analysis. And it talks about everything financially from top to bottom, starting with their foundation, right? Right. So that's kind of what that looks like to, to start. And then we kind of build from there. Right. And I know that it's a process. Absolutely. Putting everything in an order and formulating a plan. It's a process. Yeah. And a lot of us lack the planning, which cause a lot of heartache. And I know that you're going to get into a little bit about what that financial plan looks like in Encompass, because everybody don't know that there is a nice package (laughs) that comes along with this financial planning. And there are different elements that should be and must be included in that financial plan. We don't get into that. We're not taught that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, once again, as I stated earlier, it really starts with your mentality, right? So my mentality has always been a learning mentality. So if you've ever heard the term learners are earners, right? Right. Or, or readers are winners, so to speak. So it's all about what we have going on here that's going to allow us to do it. Because life at the end of the day is about choices. And choices has a lot to do with our mentality and how we view certain things that are put in front of us. So it's kind of like a fork in a row. You can either go left. Or you can go right once you get to that part of your your life. And it could be financial. It could be, I mean, anything in your life. It could be career-wise, et cetera. Whatever choice that you make coming from the mentality that you have is going to dictate which direction you go in. And whichever direction that you go in, you have to be willing to accept whatever the results are. So now we're talking about finances, right? Which is, at the end of the day, it's a mentality. Because you can get the information from me or you can get the information from anybody that has a license to do what it is that we do from a financial standpoint. But if your mentality is clouded, if you don't have what they call a clear, concise mental picture of what your financial world is going to look like, along with the help that somebody like myself 
provides for you, then you're going to be in the same place next month or next year. So I, I've come across a lot of people that say, like, I may have a conversation with them and I may mention a, a, a product and they'll say something like this. Well, yeah, I heard about that. And they tell me how good it is, et cetera, but they don't have one. So that means what? They received some information at a certain point previous before we had the conversation and somebody gave them information similar to what I do for my clients, but they didn't do what they didn't take action on it. That's a choice, but that also stems from the person's mentality. So if I get information, do I take advantage of it and take action on it now, urgency, or do I just let it linger? And then we have that conversation and they say something like, well, yeah, I heard about that, but you don't have it. Or I heard about that, but you're not doing anything about it. So right. you're right. Just as simple as an emergency fund. I remember in March of 2020, I got a call from my son's school and letting us know that, you know, school is kind of discontinued until further notice because of this, you know, they call it coronavirus then and it emerged into the COVID-19 scenario. But I'm thinking to myself, well, I know a lot of other parents are getting this conversation or this call from the school. So when you're talking about an emergency fund, well, you got to break down what that is. It's a fund for specific emergencies. Mm -hmm. So if, if a person can't go to work for an extended period of time, that's not going to stop the rent man or the mortgage woman or the car note person or the light of the gas company or your cell phone bill or the groceries that need to go in the freezer and the refrigerator. Like those things don't stop. So what emergency fund do you have when this state of an emergency has just been announced on our national news broadcast, if you will? So that means what? That's a financial problem that the average person didn't plan for that goes back into the planning scenario. Everything that I do is to help somebody to plan, hence your word, the process, plan so you, so you can know what the process looks like to achieve it, right? Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not like we have the conversation today and then tomorrow you got $100,000 of liquid assets. You have to build it, hence your personal financial house. But we have to do it in a... In a in a strategic, planned way. If a person wants to go out of town with their spouse, right? And let's say you wanted to go to, you know, Brazil. I'm just throwing a, throwing a country out there. Well, unless you get long money, and I'm not saying if you do or don't, because if you do, that's great. But the average person has to do what? They're not going to be able to get off work for four months. But in that time, what are they doing? They're planning their trip to and through Brazil for, for a week. I'm just hypothetical, right? Mm -hmm. So now the question is, well, what does that look like? Well, hey, look, we're going to board the plane and leave on this date. And then we're going to arrive in Brazil on a nonstop flight at this time on this date. And then we're going to check into our hotel room or Airbnb at this time. And then we're going to have a local tour guide that's going to guide us around the city. All of this is planned. Like you don't just do it today and then tomorrow you're on the plane. You could do that, but that's for wealthier people, right? I'm talking about the average and ordinary person. They have to do what? Plan their vacation. Well, isn't it ironic that a person will plan for a week vacation, but won't plan for their retirement? Or they'll plan for a week-long vacation, but won't plan for their children's college education, because that's also a problem as well, a financial one. So it all stems from a problem. Let me, let me name five of them that the problems lie. I'll start with retirement. If, if you decide you want to retire at some point, what's your plan from the day that you decide you want to retire as far as the age and then actually get into that age? What plan do you have in place? The average person doesn't have one or they only have it through their job. And it's, that's really not a viable plan. That's just a product that you put your money in. 
This is the lack of financial education that most people have. And if you have it, that's no problem. What did I say earlier? Knowledge of the problem is the key to the solution. So hopefully the information that I'm sharing with you all is going to help you to rectify the problem that you don't even know that you may have. So if you got a 401k at your job, well, think about two questions that your employer probably doesn't ask you. If they offer you a 401k at your job, which is a, what they call a qualified retirement plan, why don't they ask you when you want to retire as far as the age and how much money minimally do you want to have at that age when you retire, if that's a viable retirement plan? And I put that in quotes. So that's something to think about. Definitely. Because if you don't, if you don't ask me when I want to retire and you don't ask me minimally how much money I want to have, but you're offering me a retirement plan, then how should I be looking at that? And that's the financial education or part of my conversation that I have with my clients that may be invested into a vehicle like a 401k, but don't really know how it works. So that's retirement. Next, we got your, you know, your college education for your children. As I just stated, that's a plan. When you have that child at some point in 18 or 19 or 17 years, depending on how bright they may be and, you know, when they finish high school, what does that look like for that young man or that young lady? And have you been doing what? Proactively planning, i.e. saving and investing money so that young person can have a, a chance at life, whether they decide to go to college, whether they decide to go to the military, go to trade school, or they just may want to start off working and, and, and eventually become an entrepreneur or something like that. But that needs to be a conversation that be, needs to be had proactively. And there also needs to be a plan in place because let's just say that they say, I'm going to go to college. What plan do you have to go to college? You don't want to just go to I'm going to just use an HBCU, for example. You don't want to just go to Howard just because you saw them play in a football game and you heard you heard their name on a, on a television or on social media or on the radio, if you still listen to the radio. Because what if you get to Howard and that internal feeling that you get when you step on a college campus is not there for you? You're going to end up doing what? You're going to end up transferring to another school. That means what? You probably didn't have a plan and you just kind of winged going to Howard, as an example. Or... When you come in contact with somebody like me, I'm going to actually help you to devise a, a college plan. What do you want your career to be? Because whatever you want your career to be should dictate which types of schools you apply to, get accepted to, get award money for, and ultimately go to at some point. So if you wanted to be an electrical engineer, don't go to a school that doesn't have an engineering program. That should be what? Part of your plan. Because why? If you want to be an electrical engineer, but you go to a school with no engineering program, you're either going to transfer or that school is going to deter you from your original goal, which was what? To become an electrical engineer. So the goal is to have a plan and work your plan until the reality of that plan comes into action. Johnny, I want to build on the statements that you have shared with us today. For my listeners, a financial plan is a comprehensive picture of your current finances, your financial goals, and how you want to achieve those goals. Your financial plan should include, okay, it should include your cash flow, which means your income, savings, your debt, your investment, retirement, emergency funds, college tuition, mortgage, taxes, health insurance, and anything else that requires money, that should be a part of your plan. A lot of us, first and foremost, don't realize that all of that should go into a financial plan. Half of us don't have 
much of that in our plan. We only think about the money that we're making. Some of us can't save enough money, even when we try to save enough money. And we can forget about college fund, emergency fund, retirement. Like you said, jobs give us this 401k, this benefit, but no one is breaking it down, explaining what it is and asking, again, those two specific questions that you stated earlier. No one does that. And not to mention life insurance is a whole nother conversation in and of itself, but that should also be a part of your financial plan as well, because death is guaranteed. There's not much in this world that is guaranteed, but death is one of those things. And a lot of us, you know, may not have the funds or the savings when that time comes to help prepare and move our loved ones to their finding rest in place. Yeah, yeah. That's a very, very, you know, hard hit home topic, so to speak, because that's why I'm sitting in front of you this this morning. My dad, God rest his soul, passed away December 30th, 2010. I was working at a job on the west side of Chicago and I got a phone call from my cousin and my cousin said that they found my old, who we call him my old man, obviously my dad. They found him unconscious at his apartment and they rushed him to a local hospital. If you're from Chicago or you've been in Chicago, you may have heard of Jackson Park Hospital. So I get to the hospital and I see my uncle Roy, God rest his soul. He just passed away last year. But my dad is DOA. At that point, they want to find out what is the family going to do with the body. So the doctor asked me because I was, quote unquote, next to Kent, i.e. his son, name rights the whole nine yards. Mr. Johnson, what are you going to do with your your dad's remains? I.e., do you have life insurance? Because that's really what they want to ask. But, you know, due to certain, you know, restrictions and laws, et cetera, they can't just come out and ask you that. You could bury him, cremate him, donate his, you know, the organs to science or, you know, to a, a organ and be an organ donor, so to speak. Now, the question in my mind was what? Well, man, did he have life insurance? Now, because I was a grown man and I had a young son at the time and, you know, I didn't see my dad as regularly as I would want to see him. But even when I saw him, guess what? We never had the conversation about life insurance. Now, at that point in my young life, did I know what life insurance was? Yeah. Obviously, I know way more about that particular topic now than I did then. But I knew if somebody like me proactively had a conversation with me about life insurance, not only would I have gotten one because why? I had a young son at the time, so I wanted to make sure I was secure. But then that person, if they're like me, once they take care of me and my you know, immediate family, hence my, my son, if you will, they would have probably asked me about my parents or my son's mom or my grandparents or anybody that I'm close to, to make sure that they got life insurance. Because guess what? If we're not licensed in the industry, and unless we have the conversation on a regular basis with our family, we don't know whether they get life insurance or not. We can assume, I think mom and dad get life insurance, but until we have that conversation, which we probably are not going to have because we're either not licensed to have that conversation or we don't have the information to be able to have that conversation. We're just going to assume, yeah, they got it. But then, as you stated, death is inevitable. It's so many things that you can do with life insurance that the average person doesn't know about. That's part of your what they call your financial foundation as you build your financial house. And it's the, the least expensive way to create generational wealth. So what does that mean? Let's say a person gets a million dollars of coverage of a death benefit and they're whatever age, I'm going to just use the age that 35. And let's say their monthly premium for that million dollars is $300 a month, hypothetically. And this is a permanent policy. So it's never going to end 
until they pass away or until they get a later, later age, like 125, if you will. So think about this. They got a million dollars of coverage and they're paying $300 a month. For a whole year, they paid $3,600 for this million dollar policy. So that means what? In 10 years, they invested $36,000 into this policy for a million. So let's say after that 10 year what they call anniversary date, they pass away. That means their family is going to be able to replace that person's income, pay off that person's debt, take care of the mortgage if the mortgage is applicable. And if there's any young children involved, they got money set aside for their college education expenses, i.e. the million dollars. But the person who's the policy owner and the insured only invested 36000 So when you're talking hedging your bet, that's part of why people should have life insurance because you could fill out an application today and, and die in three months. And as long as everything checks out on your application from a from an applicable standpoint, whatever your death benefit is, it could be a hundred thousand, a quarter of a million, two million, fifty thousand, whatever that number is, that goes to that family. So yeah, the family can't bring that deceased person back physically, but the plan that was set up called life insurance can provide some financial stability and ease the the pain of of losing that that person that has been deceased. Definitely. I know that finances and how it impacts your mental health can really leave a toll on people. Having you depressed, having you stressed out, overwhelmed. I see it every day with the work that I do as a clinician and even sometimes with my friends and sometimes with my own family is when you do not have that secure financial plan in place, when certain things take place in your life, it's like you're scrambling to come up with this money to do what it is that you need to do. But if you would have had a plan in place, you wouldn't have to struggle. You wouldn't have that stress. You wouldn't have all of those emotions and being overwhelmed if you had a plan in place. So as a financial Coach, what positive advice would you give to listeners who is listening? At the end of the day, you have to start the process. That's that's the initial advice I would give you because there's three types of people. You have your proactive people who know that things are going to happen and they plan in advance, or you're reactive, meaning something happens and then you try to figure it out, or you're non-active, meaning you just don't care regardless of the fact. So you want to become more proactive and start to do things and take action on things as far as the information that you're receiving. Secondly, you have to be realistic within yourself. You have to know what you want to do, and you have to allow somebody like myself to help guide you. Think about a GPS. You put in a destination, and that GPS is going to guide you to that destination. But if you veer off that that path, your GPS is going to just reroute or recalibrate. That's where I am in the process. I'm going to help guide you to where you're going and if you get knocked off track, we're going to get you back on track. But you have to be willing to follow the roadmap to the financial success that you're looking for. And then last but certainly not least, you have to get out of your own way. That has a lot to do with your mentality as well. And what I mean, what I mean by getting out of your own way, if, if you're used to doing certain things, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable to get comfortable. If you want you know, a half a million dollars of tax-free retirement in 30 years, hypothetically, and if you're not used to saving and investing money, what I mean by getting out of your own way is you have to allow yourself that change if you want that end goal. Because if you don't, you're going to be what we call on the hamster wheel of life and you're going to get to that age and you're going to quote unquote retire, but then you back at work four years later. Because why? 
you didn't get out of your own way and you didn't allow the plan that somebody like me helps you put in place to be able to be worked through over the years so you can build it so you can retire when you want to, how you want to, with minimally the amount of money that you need and be able to enjoy that part of your life, knowing that you did what you were supposed to do proactively initially. Right. There are so many different things that go into financial planning. Most of us do not have the knowledge to do it on our own. So if someone wants to learn more about the services that you can provide and help them get on the the right financial track, how can they reach you? If you're on social media, you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. First and last name, Johnny Johnson. Um, If you're on Instagram, you can locate me at Johnny Cash. So that's J-O-H-N-E-Y. K is in Kite, A is in Alpha, S is in Sam, H is in Henry, 06. You can find me. That's my username on, on Instagram. And you can also reach out to me directly via call or text message at 708-317-8800, which is once again, 708-317-8800. And then you can also locate me on my scheduling link, which is calendly.com forward slash J-O-H-N-E-Y-K-A. SH. And then you can actually schedule an appointment with me so I can start to help you with the process of improving your overall financial life and build your financial house the correct way. Well, listeners, there you have it. Thank you so much again for being a part of Elevated Voices podcast. Thank you as well. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we enjoy using our voice to share information which promotes growth and change. Never feel like you are alone. Join our Elevated Voices Podcast community at Elevated Voices underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned to bi-weekly episodes wherever you get your podcast. If there is a topic that you would like me to cover, or if you have questions, you can send me an email via my Elevated Voices podcast Facebook page. And remember, don't forget to let your voice be heard.